0: Thank you all for being here this morning. Surprise! (laughs) I am not Father John, nor am I Father Nate. But I have been asked to give the word this morning, and I told Father Nate, it is with trembling hands. I don't have my Apple Watch on, lest I see my heart rate right now. Um, But I am uh, truly humbled to be able to give this word to you. My name is Lori Elliott. I've been part of this parish um, for a little while now, in and out. It's been um, a year for me, as I know it has been for you. Um, Before the pandemic um, hit, we had our own mini crisis, major crisis hit in our family, And we thought we were doing really well. And then just over a year ago, my precious husband suddenly and unexpectedly died. We had dated for 43 years and enjoyed 39 years of marriage. And so when Father John asked me to look at this text, Amos, I mean, why wouldn't I choose Luke over Amos? Amos has been chosen for me, and I actually have a a really soft place in my heart for the prophet Amos. The Shema has been part of our family life from the beginning. It was central to my husband and I's relationship, and then we brought that into the relationship with our children. The Shema comes from Deuteronomy, and it's also in Amos 8, 4, When you read, hear this, God is saying, Shema, listen, because this is important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if you have not listened to the message last week from Father John, Olivia Rocamora spoke before john and gave just this amazing update it was a sermon in and of itself so please listen to that he also was teaching from amos i'll say a word and then we'll dive in father thank you that you are here your spirit is our teacher and guide and jesus is our gift of salvation we commit these words to you to your honor and glory alone amen So Father John rightly pointed out that we are loved. And I think when we read a text like Amos 8, we need to know that assurance that we have. We are loved wholly and completely by God. There is nothing, he said, we can do to make God love us more or love us less The Shema teaches us to listen to God with our whole life, our entire being. I think Father John said in our bones. I would say in our gut also. Loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And as we learn, because it is a learning process to love God wholeheartedly, we are literally learning to choose life. Now, did I pull that out of the air? No, I pulled that out of Deuteronomy 30. Choosing life. In this life of learning, we gain a better understanding of our position, our posture, and the privilege that comes from being a child of God. When we begin to understand that it is not our obedience of faith that makes us right with God. It is Christ's righteousness given to us through the cross. Our obedience of faith follows the way of Jesus. It does not lead. Our obedience of faith is the fruit of our identity in Christ. We cannot do enough good deeds, good works, or produce enough good fruit to gain a right standing With God. Our vertical position is wholly dependent upon Christ Himself and His righteousness. And that brings us to Amos, specifically Amos chapter 8, where we read about the importance of our horizontal posture towards one another. Well, who is Amos? Father John talked a little bit about this, but I'm gonna share some things. Maybe he said it, maybe he didn't. But Amos was a Judean shepherd, a fig tree, a sycamore tree farmer. He was an older contemporary of Hosea and Isaiah, probably the first prophetic book written in the Bible, the Hebrew scriptures. The name Amos comes from the Hebrew Amos, It means to lift a burden or carry. So his name means burden or burden bearer, which is entirely fitting for the burden given to him. Though from Judah, rather than the Northern kingdom of Israel, he was given the burden of carrying the message of warning against the greed, the injustice, the externalism, the self-righteousness of the Northern kingdom and God calls, or quite literally plucked Amos from the field. He plucked him to confront the wrongdoing of the people of Israel, offering them an opportunity to repent before facing God's judgment. The divine message given to Amos was primarily one of judgment, though it ends with the words of hope. So I hope in all your spare time this week, you have the opportunity to read through the book of Amos, nine chapters. Amos warned that the Lord God, the sovereign ruler of the universe, would come as a warrior to judge the nations that had rebelled against his authority. Israel in particular would be punished for her violations against God's covenant. Amos sought to bring the prosperous and the materialistic northern tribes under Jeroboam to repentance as the only escape from imminent judgment. In this process, the book demonstrates God's hatred of evil because of his holiness and that his justice must act against Israel's sin for he cannot allow it to go unpunished. However, even though the nation would be destroyed, we know the whole story. We have the whole context. God would preserve a repentant remnant. So in our text today, Amos presents his fourth vision, giving one clear message, Israel is ripe for judgment. Entering into the autumn season with its festival at hand, celebrated with the understanding of new beginning, securing prosperity and blessing. From this vision, we gather that Amos, the farmer, cuts off the right fruit and it becomes a demonstration of God cutting off unrepentant Israel as Yahweh has been long suffering with them. Now the day of reckoning has come. The wealthy had sinned against both God and humankind. The abusers, they were weary of their religious duties. And they only endured the Sabbath, which was gifted to them, but they endured it wishing that it would be over so they could start making money again. And then they tweaked and they changed the standards always to their advantage. So they might exploit the poor and they cheapen their products in unsavory ways. Then raise the prices No wonder Yahweh was angry. Amos warned them to expect an earthquake and then an eclipse that would bring about a funeral, much different than the funeral my family went through last year, but a funeral and ultimately a famine, not the sort of famine they had experienced before, but a famine of hearing God's truth, His words. The Bible project says that Amos shows us the relationship between God's justice and mercy. His justice, God must confront evil, evil among Israel and the nations. His mercy, his long-term purpose is for our restoration, for their restoration and for a whole new family. So if you've heard me teach, some of you have heard me teach for years, some, this is your first time. Um, If we're having a conversation, this will probably come up at some point. Our view of God changes everything. No matter how we view God, it will change the way we live, the way we relate to him and the way we relate to others especially when we're reading a text like Amos, this is important. But how do we see God in this text? Once more, we see God is pursuing, God is taking the initiative, and God is asking questions. Amos, what do you see? Amos says, overripe fruit. As we read through this text, we will see several I will statements. These are statements from Yahweh. We should always pay attention to anything repetitive in Scripture, especially when it's God Himself speaking. I will. When we look at these first three verses, the basket of summer fruit, perhaps as a play on this Hebrew word, which sounds like the word for end. Much of Amos's prophecy can be summed up in this statement that the end has come upon Israel. The destruction and upheaval brought by the Assyrians wasn't the final end to the Lord's people, but the separate kingdom of Israel did come to a political end. And you can find more about that in 2 Kings 17. Judgment on those who oppress the poor. Similar language is used in Amos 2, 6 through 8. So I like what Alec Motyer has to say about this. Not like in a, in a compelling way. How about that? Not like like I just liked him on Instagram, but in a compelling way. He says the sin behind all sin is covetousness, gain for self. That's what Amos is bringing forward. He first mentioned it as the sin of self-pleasing in a society and religion in chapter four. He returned to it in the form of self-satisfaction in chapter six and self-indulgent later on in six. Now for the third time, he exposes that which moves the Lord to extreme infliction of his wrath in the fourth form of self-advantage because all had to be turned to the advantage of self. They despised the grace of God who had given them the new moon and Sabbath days of feast and resting, which they despised. They disobeyed the instruction or the law of God who had commanded even-handed justice in all transactions of life. He says, let us carefully note this delineation of their sin. It is an offense exposed by the plumb line of God, which Father John talked about last week. Their lives neither rested on a level foundation of grace nor were constructed according to the upright Law, the law that gives and brings life. The encounter between Amos and Amaziah stressed the upward dimension of hearing and obeying the word of God. And then in Amos 8, 1 through 10, the third dimension of a truly godly life appears outwardly, a concern for the helpless and needy among humankind, Failure in any of the three cases brings heavy, disastrous divine judgment. But there is an element of divine anger reserved for this last failure, which takes it far and away beyond the threats in the two other cases, how the Lord hates inhumanity, how the Lord hates the abuse of those created in his image. Three separate sins are specified in verse four, domineering in verse six, treating as means, not ends, and exploitation. The unrelenting nature of their domineering of the needy, the poor, is such that Amos sees this class, this class of independent but unaffluent people. He sees them simply disappearing from the land. They do this by using paltry debts such as that for a pair of shoes, a justification for selling a human being into slavery. That is to say the poor, here is the same word used in verse, chapter 4 verse 1, is every bit as much a piece of merchandise as the nearest sack of grain something to become the means of the highest possible profit. He is no longer a person, but only a thing. And as a thing, he can be treated with utmost scorn. They will even force him to buy the refuse of the wheat that which has fallen and presumably been swept away at the end of the day has been put aside for resale they looked as people and at, they looked at people and they saw things they looked at others and thought only of themselves and that turned out to be amos declares the mouthpiece of god says the sin of all sins. But God in his mercy gives us the gift of repentance. It is of central importance because sin brings God's judgment and joyful abiding with God is only possible through full and sincere repentance. Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. God, through his servants, his prophets, calls people to repent as the only way escape of the judgment and receive the forgiveness and full restoration that he offers. One of my favorite authors and teachers on the subject of repentance is Frederica Matthews Green. She states, repentance is the doorway to the spiritual life, the only way to begin. It is also the path itself, the only way to continue. We read our collect of repentance every week. Anything else, she said, is foolishness and self-delusion. Only repentance is both brute honest enough and joyous enough to bring us all the way home. The shaking of the earth and the darkening of the sun are signs that go along with strong judgment. In verses 11 through 13, he talks about a hunger and a thirst. There will be upheaval and lack of food in the judgment to come, but there will be something more, which is just as deadly, the lack of hearing from the Lord. In this chapter the Lord takes a last look at the sins that Israel made ripe for judgment. And he names a few of the consequences that Israel's sin is going to bring. Although the Lord says he will send the consequences, at the same time, they are natural. They are the results of Israel's choices. We can learn much as we look in the Hebrew scriptures at Israel's sin When I am confronted by passages such as these, I must ask myself whether I see similar attitudes within my own life. Do we see similar attitudes within the church, outside of the church? Do we see signs of similar abuses today? What can we do to stem the tide of disaster that Persistent sin invites. One commentator says, Israel's extreme sin made extreme judgment necessary under the terms of the covenant. The Lord destroyed Israel, then demolished Judah, then miraculously restored Judah from exile, then abandoned Judah to conquerors for centuries. And finally, this is where we breathe deeply. He sent his only son in the text. It says you will be mourning as one as um, for his only son. And what did God do? He sent his only son to pay the covenant price for the people's sins, for my sins, for your sins, for our sins. The prophet's writings record for us why the covenant demanded such acts of justice. The writings also shows, show us that the Lord had planned his acts of mercy all along. Thankfully, his Hesed endures. So, when we hear something about a famine of God's word, that should be frightening to us. Deuteronomy 8, 2 through 4. Remember the long way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Have you felt? a time of wilderness in your life? Is it feeling like 40 years? He has led you through these 40 years of wilderness in order to humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether or not you keep his commandments. He humbled you by letting you hunger, then feeding you with manna, which Neither nor you nor your ancestors were acquainted in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And I love this part. I couldn't leave it out. The clothes on your back did not wear out and your feet did not swell for those 40 years. That's incredible. Man does not live On bread alone. Well, Jesus quoted this in Matthew and Luke during his time of testing when he was tempted by the evil one. Jesus and the apostle James taught and lived that those who intently listen to God's word will understand it. And from this understanding put the way of Jesus into practice. Jesus tells us in his gospel, and later James repeats this, it's, they say by putting God's word into practice, there is a promise that we will be blessed with more understanding. It is God's words, his truth, that brings much needed clarity to our lives, helping us see the error of our way. Amos, what do you see? Lori? What do you see? When our world gets shaken, when trouble comes, we tend to see things differently, in a new way, with a new understanding. Like last week, when I was traveling through the Atlanta airport, visiting my adult children who live in Southern California, I was struck to the point of standing there by the number of ads and announcements about human trafficking. Atlanta is the world's busiest airport and it is also a hub for horrific abuse of human beings from all over the world. But I was struck, have I missed it? Is this new? When your world gets shaken, you see things that you haven't seen before. I read on Wellspring Living yesterday, they said in Georgia, the average age of a girl first sold into sex trafficking is 14 years. When our world gets shaken, when trouble comes, we tend to see things differently in a new way with a new understanding. So I'm going to read Psalm 52 to you. Why do you boast, O mighty one, of mischief done against the godly? All day long, you are plotting destruction. Your tongue is like a sharp razor, you worker of treachery. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking the truth. You love all the words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will bring you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear and will laugh at the evildoer saying, see the one who has not taken refuge in God, but trusted in abundant riches and sought refuge in wealth. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because of what you have done. In the presence of the faithful, I will proclaim your name for it is good. So we are invited by our invitational God to bring justice and right relationship With one another. This is not a suggestion, but an instructive command of the way to live out our calling in God's life. And we do this through Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. True worship, true love of God should always lead to justice, righteousness, and loving our neighbor well. Now let's take a moment of silence.